Hi and hello watch fans and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker Rob Nutz and my co-host Alan Ben-Joseph calling in all the way from Amsterdam. Today we are joined by Sylvain Berneron and Alan, please give our illustrious guest the welcome to the show that he deserves. Sylvain, welcome. Hi Alan, hi Rob, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Thank you buddy for taking the time in your very busy schedule to sit down with us. You are not only the creative director at Breitling, but you have an amazing project coming up, which are watches that bear your name on the dial. So we are very eager to learn about that. But before we do so, I'm very proud and honored to call you my friend. We've met several years ago. You are not only an amazing designer and creator, you are a gentle soul. You're very philosophical, very smart, very friendly, have an amazing moral compass, and you are actually a petrol head, but not like everybody might think only cars that you love. You utterly love motor bicycles. You not only drive them a lot, but you also have designed them, still designed them, and customized them. Am I right? Yep, yep, that's right. Thank you for the, the introduction. I'm ever so humbled. Thank you very much. Now, I know how to drive a motorcycle. I've never actually got my driver's license, but I really enjoy your Instagram account, which for our dear listeners, you can find at Holographic Hammer, which is H-O-L-O-G-R-A-P-H-I-C-H-A-M-M-E-R. And you'll see also amazing customizations and creations that Silva made. Um, we would love to hear, Sylvain, your journey before you entered the watch industry and what you've created before you started creating these amazing Breitling watches. I think the, the main start is uh, my dad is an engineer by training and my mother uh, was an artist. So I grew up uh, in a house where my dad was very strong at mathematics and, and my mother was a very skillful painter. She used to paint on the walls at home and stuff. So I have uh, this strong training in, in fine arts and a strong love and respect for, for these disciplines, as well as uh, engineering from my dad. So I'm, I'm pretty much a mix of both, uh, which led me into studying industrial design. And my first job was uh, at BMW in Munich when I was 19. And I started at BMW as a Werkstudent uh, designing motorcycles. Uh, I worked six years uh, in Munich for BMW, had an amazing time, did a lot of motorcycles and, and car projects. And then I, I felt I was missing home, really. I loved the job. BMW is an amazing company, but it never felt like home, Germany. So I felt the need to, to go back to Paris, open my own design studio where I kept doing freelancing for various brands such as uh, MV Agusta, Ducati, and BMW still. Uh, this is when I did a lot of one-offs. So, quote-unquote, uh, motorcycles, build uh, as unique pieces, either race bikes or road, road motorcycles. And I've been racing motorcycles for 20 years as a, as a sport. Um, and during that time, this is where I had first freelance watchmaking projects uh, through IWC uh, and Richemont. Uh, they were looking for a petrol head takes on a few, on a few projects. Uh, and one project led to another, and I slowly uh, transferred to Geneva in Merin at the campus de Autorlogerie. So it's, it's pretty much the Richemont headquarter. Worked for George Cairn for five years um, at Beaumont Mercier, uh, and when he joined Breitling to take command uh, of the new era of Breitling. I joined George again, and that's pretty much almost five years ago now that I'm running the design team for Breitling. Amazing journey. So it begs the question, what are the similarities in designing motorcycles and watches? There are actually quite, quite a few. Um, they have in common, um, in order to, to 
build a watch or a motorcycle, you need to have a strong technical background, knowledge, and understanding of how these objects function in order to be able to to cope with them. Uh, so I would say the mindset is very much the same. You could, for example, argue that a movement is an engine on a on a bike, a case is a frame on a bike, uh, and for example, the strap and the lugs would be all the ergonomics parts you could find on a, on a motorcycle to operate it. Uh, so once you you learned and you understood this design process to 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 make a motorcycle you can apply it to a watch the the on the other hand the main difference is the scale and and it took me i think almost a year to to get my eyes friendly with with the scale of watches because on a bike you discuss down to a millimeter on a watch a millimeter is a mile mm-hmm. you can do so many things within one square millimeter on a watch um and that's probably the biggest difference and the and the highest challenge i find when you translate from the transportation industry to the watch industry but you find uh, actually many other designers that make that bridge like for example fabrizio at bulgari was also working uh, in the italian car industry before and yeah. i think petrol heads and watch geeks are very close friends in, in reality he rides motorcycles as well for example so so that shows uh i think boys in general like toys and and watches just like bikes are, are good toys we can play with so yeah yeah amazing so you're referring to fabrizio buonamassa staglioni who's mm-hmm. today the head of design at bulgari watchmaking he indeed mm-hmm. like you loves motorcycles and cars he draws a lot of cars but he also Uh, tours a lot on a motorcycle so yeah that's that's amazing so i'm curious to know a what watch you're wearing today today i am not wearing a watch i'm doing home office but the closest watch i have uh, to me is on the desk a meter away and it's my wedding watch uh i married an exceptional woman and she on her own took the the decision to Give me for wedding a uh, 5196 G from Patek, so it's a manual Calatrava, wow. and she blew me away. I mean, she never wow. told me anything, and she she wears watches uh, in a very funny way. Like for example, she has a Reverso, and she would not even bother to set the time correctly when she walks when she walks out the house. So she wears it uh, as a as an accessory, yeah, for, for a complete outfit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for me is a crime it's like why, why would you wear a watch if you don't set the time yeah but uh, that's her way of doing it uh, and and she made the research and bought that watch uh, for me without telling me anything so she brought me in, in geneva one day we went to the store and she she offered me this watch i was blown away amazing uh, so very fortunate to, to have this piece. she is definitely a keeper and to all the lady listeners of the show, please take notes. And my question B was, what's the first Brightling watch you and your team worked on when you joined the Brightling team? That was uh, late 2018. My first project was the relaunch of the Chronomat collection. Uh, it was a big project. Uh, the Chronomat in the 80s was a big, big seller for the brand, an icon in the watch industry. Uh, the legend has it, all Brightly employees would, were telling me that back in the days they were moving more, a lot more chronomats uh, than, for example, Rolex Daytonas. Because all the movie actors like the Belmondos uh, and all these guys would rock some Brightling chronomats, so the expectation was very high. This design hasn't been worked on for 15, 20 years, so... It was quite a hard project to, to, to start at Breitling, uh, which is why we, we took our time to work on it. It was 18 months of development, rebuilt the whole case, new B01 movement. We revived the legendary bullet bracelet, also called the Rulo bracelet. Uh, and overall now, the Chronomat collection at Breitling, four years down the line, is back on its A game. It's the number three best-selling collection for Breitling, and, and it's 
working very well. We are very happy. Congratulations. Went quite well as far as I can see. It's absolutely my uh, my favorite modern release and really got me back into Breitling in a way because I'd been an aerospace fan for years. I own one, but I uh, was looking for uh, some mechanical inspiration and I found it with a new chronomat line. What do you think of the uh, ladies model that was announced not so long ago in Geneva with the responsibly sourced gold and lab-grown diamonds? Breitling aims at being... Uh what we call new luxury so it's it's a casual take on on luxury the goal is to be more modern more inclusive uh, and by modern that also means embracing values of the 21st century and therefore efficiency and sustainability are extremely important to be relevant as a brand i think in the century to come we see it every day especially in europe all the tensions with uh, fossil energies and 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 the war even and all these things efficiency will be key uh, and especially at this digital age uh, everyone likes to understand where the product come from where it has been built and how which is why this initiative of chronomat origin where we use it's basically a combination of what we call new diamonds so these are uh, diamonds made by machines and non-extracted in mines for the knowledge the material itself is strictly identical so diamond is basically compressed carbon that's what it is by nature if you find it in in the ground it took a thousand years to be built under high pressure and high temperature but you can also thanks to technology uh, achieve this uh, in a factory which is uh, how we do it now uh, that allows you to be a lot more creative in terms of shapes uh, and a lot more uh, efficient in terms of quality so these machines produce only the highest grade diamonds you can find unlike natural ones where you have to look around and see different grades of stones so that's for the diamonds and for the gold we use uh, etic mine gold so in a in a mine that you can actually trace and we know where it comes from because gold is actually very hard to trace uh, so that's pretty much the and that applied to the chronomat so that was the the frame of this initiative sylvan on that topic i am uh, obviously very passionate because i'm a diamantaire as well and i have nothing against lab grown but i think that nothing beats na- natural diamonds um i actually would love to have your colleague on the show um i forgot her name but she, I, she, I think she's aurelia aurelia is the chief sustainability officer i think within brightling mm-hmm, exactly yeah she will tell me a lot more about it because that's really her field of expertise yeah which is which is amazing that brightling has her on the team and that you guys invest so much she is unbelievable i listened to a speech given by her in geneva and she's just so incredibly uh, in command of the subject, I was just absolutely awed by things I'd never heard anyone discuss in such depth before. Fantastic. Yeah, and I would love to have a philosophical discussion about with her, especially on the topic of diamonds, because if lab-grown diamonds are not 100% generated with renewable energy, they're not sustainable. And they're definitely not more sustainable than natural mine. But I'm going to leave you on that topic. What I do want to know is you as a creative director within Brightling, how much do they incorporate you in that sustainability aspect? Um, who, 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 who takes the lead on that and how does it impact you and your team on the creativity when you need to take those aspects into account? So as, as funny as it may sound, um, sustainability is quite transparent in terms of product design. Uh, the challenge goes more into product development and supply because these materials have different technical constraints so you need to source them differently you may not have the right volumes or quantity you need so you need to adjust your supply in consequences and you need to understand the new technical requirements that goes into production to use these materials but if I use, for example, sustainable leather, sustainable gold and stones in terms of product definition and aesthetics, 
I have the same palette of creative freedoms that I normally have uh, using regular materials. So it, it's not much of a of a stress in, in terms of creative output. And on topic of the chronomat, which I love, I grew up with that watch in the early 80s. I think it came out in 85, if I'm not mistaken, 84. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. My dad bought the first one that came off uh, from the Schneider era. So I remember the Rouleau bracelet vividly, and it's one of my favorite bracelets ever. And besides that watch being a neo-iconic watch, then the Navi timer is definitely iconic. How much pressure does it put on your shoulders as a creative lead within such an historical and iconic brand to evolve these designs do you enjoy that or do you enjoy designing from scratch having the creative freedom to create something new i I like both um often some people think that making a new version of a iconic watch is is a lot easier when in fact it's as complicated because you don't want to be the guy you ruined the 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 navi timer right uh this is probably one of the most iconic pilot watches in the entire industry, if not the most iconic. Uh, initially ordered by uh, airplane owners and pilots. So the root of, of this piece is really a, a tool for pilots. Uh, this piece lived for 50 years and now it was time to make. So we launched the new Navi Timer last year. And it was more about evolutions and revolution. Uh, and by that, I mean good design should be applied to a specific frame and 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 in that context our team is here to serve the brand and to and to deliver what makes sense for brightling and and the the mistake we try not to do is try to please ourselves and then for example me pouring my own taste onto a navi timer would not be the right exercise so we did a long research i wore a navi timer for over a year to get a feel for the piece, to understand how it works, to 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 see which were the areas where we could improve, uh, and understand what were the strengths of this product. Uh, as a result, it is an extremely strong product. You can recognize a Navi timer from 50 meters away, maybe not, maybe 10 meters. Um, it is a very strong design, and on this new generation, what we did is make the case thinner. Erase the tachymeter on the dial, place the original AOPA logo back on the dial to to honor its roots, and improve the the finishing on the on the case. So, and I didn't want to touch the, this iconic design, which I think would have been a crime to to change it just because I thought it, it would need to be changed. So overall, yeah, it's really an evolution of the design and, and the response has been extremely positive. Uh, again, we knew it would be a big launch, so so we doubled the number of pieces we produced for the launch and after two weeks we were out of stock. Uh, and we are still trying to catch up a year after on production to, to match the demand. Uh, it's it's really crazy. Amazing! Congratulations. So you beautifully referred to as an evolution with little revolutions in the process. So obviously that recognizable design is still there. Would you then call bringing back the AOPO logo revolutionary and the vivid colors, which have never actually been used on the Navi Timer platform? No, the, the AOPA was more, um, let's say, a nice touch to, to show the heritage and to remember to everyone where this piece comes from. It's, it's, I love the story of the Navi Timer because it's not a watchmaker invention. It's actually a group of enthusiasts that came to a watchmaker, to Breitling, and said, please build us this watch. This is what we need. And this is why it is so authentic. Um, and I think it's important, and I thought it, would, it was a nice homage and a nice touch to place the original AOPA logo back on the dial. And, and for the record, AOPA stands for Airplane Owners, Owners and Pilot Pilots Association. Yeah. 
And so it's interesting that you don't find it revolutionary, but me as a marketeer think it's rather revolutionary that Breitling with the new era under George Kern's uh, reign, you guys have actually played a lot with logos, which is, I think, very cool and of this era. But it's actually an, an, an unwritten rule in marketing that you never touch logos, right? You need to be uh, consecutive all the time. Breitling under the Schneider era and even the Willie Breitling's era did use two. Well, actually, the, the Willie Breitling only had the written Breitling logo, right? Schneider used the, the, the B you guys have now, and they created the wings and the anchor logo. George Kern took that away, but with listening very much to the industry and the collectors, he brought it back on some collections, which I think was a stroke of genius. How do you see that as a design? Does that does that actually make you happy that you have that freedom? Because you you technically have now three logos on dials. I even have four because if you look on the on the top time, I have this cursive written Breitling logo in in this uh, very 50s, 60s style. That's interesting. Um, so so who drives that discussion? Because I I don't know actually any brand that has in their modern collection four different logos that they use of the same brand. Yes, but the, I think one specific um, characteristic of Breitling in the industry is, is the depth of product we can offer. So we have on one side very traditional classic watchmaking products such as the Premier Collection. And on the other hand, you have the professional products like the Emergency, the Aerospace, the Endurance. And these two products have nothing in common. They don't use the same materials. They are not the same um, sizes, not the same use scenario. So having the same logo could almost be a, some kind of a shortcut. You know, it would not make happy uh, both hands of the of the spectrums for, for the clients, which is why I think it's, it's very modern and, and intellectually flexible to to say, okay, it can still be Breitling even if we use different logos. And, I mean, you, you've sold thousands of watches, uh, Alan, and you know how much a logo um, has an aesthetic impact on the dial. You, you can screw an entire watch just with a logo. I, I totally and, agree. And, I totally agree. So talking of the risks then, how do you perceive that the risk taken can make or break a watch? And, and do you think that only by pushing the envelope on creativity and therefore taking risks can create good products? That's for sure. It, it's one of the hardest parts. I think that... Um especially at a big brand like, like Breitling. Breitling is one of the top 10 big brands in terms of volume and, and turnover. So once you realize how much, how many jobs and how much money is involved, the, the, the safest way to do it would be to, to turn into a defensive position to take safe design decisions. But I also think it's a it's the route to, to take shortcuts and, and, and to fail because you won't surprise people, especially now when we design pieces. Keep in mind, if I draw something today, it will take me six months, a year to get a, a full, coherent, precise, well-built product. And then we need another two years to homologate it and produce it. So we always have to project ourselves three years ahead. And at the pace Brightling is growing, it becomes very difficult to imagine the brand within three years. Um, but if I look back at what we did, both on, on the Chronomat, the Navitimer, even the Super Ocean 3 was a bold launch where we rebuilt it entirely from scratch. And it, it shows that the risk uh, had paid off uh, in the sense I think people respect brands where where they, they don't imitate any other colleagues or brands in the industry, but they try to find their own mark. I find there is a, a great sense of honor into doing it. And, and for us, the design team, to do justice to Breitling, we really spend a lot of time 
to come out with bold designs that would honor the Breitling pedigree. This is really how we take it. I want to discuss the challenge of 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 both designs and 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 turning brand perception around. So the 50s era under Willie Breitling was rather elegant, focused on chronographs and sports. Uh, the Schneiders, which were both father and son pilots, turned it around to even more on activity, chronographs, and therefore aviation as well, and called the slogan of Breitling Instruments for Professionals. Very masculine, um, very much tool watches. Under the new era, you guys tried to create, and that's my perception, a more rounded brand by offering elegant classical watches. You don't let go of the pilot, of course. You uh, literally segmented into air, land, and sea, where Breitling was strong also in dive watches. Um, and what I loved under the Schneider era, it was very technical. Um, uh, Rob just mentioned his aerospace watch, which I love as well. And was very, very, very loved by uh, airline crew members, pilots and crew members. We sold literally thousands of aerospaces to airline crews all over the world. Um, but what I find a pity, or me as a Brighton fan, I miss, is that you guys let go of the innovation side. What do I mean? You guys went so hard on retro. It's it's all surrounded by retro vibes. The boutiques are more casual, luxury, and 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 contemporary. So let's say urban. Um, are you guys now exploring the more technical side again? Um, is the aerospace still in production or is it out now? I forgot. So the, the aerospace is still in production, and and we are working on a new one. Ah, robbed. Rob, there's good news for you. I'm rubbing my hands with glee. Yeah, my bank balance is wincing already. Uh, I don't know what to say. I love aerospaces. I especially love special edition ones with little emblems on the dial. So uh, maybe you can put a few aside for a, the real-time show limited. Just Alan and I will buy one, I'm sure, but we'd love that. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. And and Sylvain, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, be a bit naughty and push the envelope. So it will it stay will it stay titanium? Will it be titanium? Yeah, sure, sure. And will you create a new metal bracelet? So titanium bracelet? Uh, yeah, we will offer a metal bracelet for the watch. Yes, but I don't want to tell you too too much about it. All I can say <laughs> is uh, we we are working on it. It's actually on my end done already. But as yeah. I said, once my my job is done. We still need two years to homologate, to produce. So I need to let my colleagues do their part of, of the journey. Um, but, but you'll be happy. I mean, we, we tried our best, uh, again, to understand the aerospace and, and, and give it good honor. Amazing. But I found your, your analysis on the previous Breitling very interesting, and it's true. Um, that our team, so George and the new management at Breitling, decided to put a big emphasis on the heritage of the brand, uh, especially the Leon, Willy, and Gaston Breitling era. So from the 19, pretty much from the start of the brand up to 1980s when the, the Schneider took over. Um, but it has a lot to do with history. By that, I mean the, the Breitling family members, they were building watches like tools. They were really tools in the sense uh, because you needed the time you needed to have the the, the frequency in, in the factories you needed to you needed to chronograph uh, to chronometer things and everything but as you know we had the quartz crisis and this is where Breitling struggled a lot like many brands and the, the Schneider family came along and and they played a lot with quartz Breitling is one of the only brands that can sell ana digital watches like the emergency or the aerospace keep in mind the emergency is 17,000 Swiss francs 
very few brands can sell quartz pieces at that price with that level of, of technique. And, and that's one of the true signature of Breitling. And I believe the Schneider saves Breitling from from bankruptcy. That's really what they, they did. did. They did. Yeah. And, and, and this instrument for professional uh, claim worked very well from the 90s, from the 80s up to the early 2000s. But no one could deny that from 2010, Breitling was slowing down. And I believe that's for two reasons. First, uh, what I call exuberant luxury is no longer a thing. Uh, walking around with a piece full of diamonds uh, in a fully polished case, wearing a 48 millimeter diameter is no longer very well accepted globally, uh, I believe. And second, let's not forget, connected watches appeared on the scene. And therefore, it becomes extremely difficult for these technical quartz species to remain relevant. For example, the new Apple Watch Ultra, in terms of functions, uh, is much more efficient than any quartz movement we could play with or come up with. So the, the question now becomes... How can we stay relevant in that using scenario without trying to become a tech company? Because mm -hmm. I think it's not the nature of Breitling. We should not. Uh, some of our colleagues in the industry, and that's my take on it, I think made the mistake to, to try to play against uh, Apple, Sunto, uh, and all, all these Garmin, for example, and, and Google even. Uh, but that's not how the... the that's not the philosophy of, of Breitling. It's not the nature of the company. We don't have either the, the knowledge or the resources. And it's not what we want to do, really. Yeah? We are not a software company. I truly believe that any business is people's business. Um, from top to bottom, and more importantly, from bottom to top. And, and linked to that, it, it, critical success factors, I think, are passion. If there is no passion, no soul, people don't put their heart, uh, and as the saying goes, blood, sweat, and tears into whatever they do, it's not doomed to fail, but you'll never have excellence, brilliance, um, pushing the envelope. Um, I think you need to be almost obsessed about what you do. Um, and, and I think you need a culture also, especially in a creative environment where you are, is to have an environment where you're allowed and able to make mistakes mm -hmm. and actually learn from it. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, exactly. yeah. And that I can rebound on because I have a good example. When we developed the new Navi timer, one of my dreams was to increase the water resistance. Uh, the Navi timer, by design, and, and I mean by that by technical construction, is a very special piece because when you turn the bezel, the glass turns with the bezel as well as a part of the dial for the slide rule. As a consequence, I, I won't go too much into details, but you have the torque you apply on the bezel go head-to-head -head against the water resistance. So if I want a higher water resistance, I have to put more pressure on the gasket. And as a consequence, you would not be able to turn the bezel anymore. So by design, I have a clear conflict between ergonomics, so how you turn the bezel, and technical reliability and water resistance. So my dream was to increase the water resistance. I worked on it night and day with the team, the technical office, to come up with alternatives and stuff. And, and, and after a year of work, we had this fancy prototype using some sort of a gearbox on the side of the case to decouple on one hand, water resistance, and on the other hand, uh, the turning system of the bezel for the slide rule. So we actually managed to, to do a 200 plus meter water resistant Navi timer. But as a consequence, the case costed three times the price of the existing product. Oh, my word. So, so yeah, we, because the number of components went through the roof, it was much higher to machine. The current Navi timer is 30 meters, so that's three times the pressure of atmosphere. And, and we simply cannot go higher in terms of water resistance than this, because if I go higher, I can. I mean, I can do a 200 meter water resistance Navi timer using the current construction, but you will never turn the bezel. 
because or you will need 20 kilos of torque to turn the vessel mm. so so you can't use it so by design i have this clear conflict uh, and when they designed it back then it was a pilot's watch so it didn't really matter it was not meant to go in in, in the water for uh, in any scenario which is why i wanted to improve it and we did so we find the technical way to do it um but as a result i don't think uh, if the price of the navy timers double or triple from a day to another um i i put myself in in a in the shoes of, of the sales team who has to explain the product to our customers and people go, why is it twice as more expensive? The fact that you gained uh, 100 meters of water resistance won't do it. I don't think so. So it's typically the, the, the case where technical uh, innovation and improvement has its limits. Is it, the question is, is it really worth it? That is the question. Is it worth it from a commercial perspective? But from a watchmaking perspective and from a consumer perspective, ultimately the product is is superior to its forerunner. And that's exactly what more brands should be doing. Even if you can't justify raising the price as much as the new build cost should dictate, you have something that is tangibly better. And that is a step forward. And that is the kind of value I think more and more consumers are looking for. And it's the kind of responsible practice that more buyers want brands to take without being asked to take so yeah it would be a bit tough to triple the price of the navi timer because the water resistance jumped up and although it would be justified from a pricing perspective i think that if you just increase it slightly and people realize that you've actually gone to the ends of what's possible in watchmaking because what you're talking about is trying to attack one of those eternal balances that normally can't be messed around with at all and come out the other end with a perfect harmony of usability and function and durability uh, i think people would allow for uh, an increase in price and certainly think fondly of a brand for undertaking such a massive task so i'm impressed i i want to see this new construction i want to take it to pieces <laughs> well. it's a yeah, yeah i spend a lot of time and energy trying to build this uh, but as a comparison it would be like having a a car with no gearbox and you would have only one speed and, and that's the, the the speed you can drive because you have no gearbox and from a day to another you had a gearbox in a car and in terms of technical complexity it goes through the roof i mean this case was uh, the, the time of machining was multiplied by five just for, for for the case because the insides were so complex it was i mean i still have it if you ever come to the brightling hq i can show it to you it's very nice when you turn the bezel and i also did this trick to show that it was different inside the slide rule would turn at a different speed compared to the to the bezel i don't know if you see what i mean if you turn the bezel 90 degrees your rayo inside so the outer ring on the dial would actually turn 120 degrees so you could actually ah, visually see amazing that you have oh a, right a, a oh, I, I see what you mean oh yeah. by the decoupling of ah okay and that's exactly. what gears are doing oh wow well, yeah, that yeah. is cool but, okay. but, but next, don't that, don't ever wear an avid timer anywhere near me because i will rip it off your wrist and take it to pieces in front of you rob <laughs> we're going we just got an we just got an invitation we're going we're coming sylvain i want to see it well, well yeah we have to go there to pick up our like 25 piece the real-time show uh, aerospace special edition of course as well as well, as well. <laughs> um, we're recording today on December the 15th, and this episode hopefully will air in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yesterday saw the announcement by H. Moser and C of uh, the new, I'm not going to read out the string of numbers, but I think it translates to, to Genesis, um, which is a watch based on um, utilizing uh, digital uh identifications, authentications, and having its own metaverse space. Now, I know that Breitling was one of the first companies to implement the blockchain uh, mm -hmm. as a method of authentication, and I spoke with your colleagues in the past about it at length. And I wonder, do you see this forum, this new uh, platform of development as something that will be very present in the future of watchmaking? And uh, what else do you expect to happen as we look ahead to the years to come? So as funny as it sounds, I may be a, a designer by training. I'm not a big fan of these ultra-digital technologies. Um, 
you could think that because it's innovative, I would like it a lot, but uh, I'm, I'm very skeptical by nature when it comes to this. The same that I'm still very skeptical about uh, crypto, for example. Um, Breitling used the, the blockchain to guarantee the authenticity of the watch and and to show to the customer in a safe way and authentic way where has the watch been produced and where the components are sourced from so it's more a, a transparency exercise uh, and i as it is now i mean it's not my decision but i, I don't see brightling going into the the nft world simply because you you, you lose the, the the physical connection so i see a lot of brands going into nfts Personally, and now I talk under my own name. I don't talk in, in the name of Brightling. I I don't like these things. It just doesn't move the, the bill for me. Uh, as a as an artist, as a guy who loves fine art, I just don't see the point to own a, a bench of pixels. Uh, but uh, different strokes for different blokes, right? So so if people are happy doing this it's fine and in, in, i hope that the future of the watch industry will not go heavily into nfts because you lose so much of what makes the the, the poetry of this industry you lose the, the finishings you lose the weight of the objects you lose the reflections you lose uh, the movements the noise the ticking the the, the weight on the wrist the, the touch i mean how are you supposed to get all that uh, on screen you just can't do it so which is why i think uh, good craftsmen will always have a bright future because you you, you cannot replicate that otherwise uh, and on the other hand i mean i don't have a crystal ball but i like to believe that the future of watches might go in in, in two directions first of all the the, the future of the industry is led by the independence, I think, because the, the big watch brands need to have uh, a safe turnover and they have multiple markets, multiple boutiques. So these are not the brands where you want to, to risk it all, so to speak, which is why the independents are more agile, smaller. And on the other hand, they have the, the duty to take risk and to experiment because otherwise they would uh, fall into into uh, how can I say uh, no one would talk about them and, and, and they will not have the exposure they need to survive so to speak so being an independent you, you must innovate it's a must to survive so Sylvain on that topic I'm daydreaming would you ever go out on your own and make your own watches mm -hmm. yes so so i mean this is i believe the the real time show is is the insider of the insider podcast i believe so uh, i think people who listen to this are either working in industry or strong collectors which is great so so i can say it here um a year ago i started to have the discussion with george and i told him i will serve brightling uh, with all my heart uh, this is my mission this is uh, what you want me to do and i will never pull my own test into it but nonetheless i've been now drawing as an employee for for big brands for 15 years and i feel the need to express myself outside of a frame and outside of an existing brand so we had this discussion and and that shows how how different we are and how modern we want to be uh, for the record i get to do a lot of home office same for my team uh, the design team at brightling does most of home office uh, we have very strong creatives and we we want to keep working this way and as a result george and i came to an agreement that i can work for brightling 80 percent of the time as a creative director and 20 percent of the time i'm allowed to make uh, small quantities of, of watches under my own name. So I'm not allowed to work for other watch companies, which was not my intention at all. Uh, but I'm allowed to try things under my own name. So, so what I did is uh, 
took all the, the, the dreams, all the impossible things uh, that you, you can't do in big brands, took all my savings and catapulted myself into uh, creative dreamland. And, and, and I hope not to land into bankruptcy. That's pretty much what I'm doing. <laughs> so are you giving us a scoop? We are going to see Bernard watches soon. Soon, soon, no, but uh, sure, sure, you will. I mean, I mean, for the record, uh, Alan and I uh, met in, in in Geneva a couple of weeks back, and I was wearing a test mule of my watch, so so he got to saw it, and 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 I think without going too much into detail, Alan, now you see what I mean by uh, what happens if you can draw a watch without limits, without uh, restrictions, creative restrictions. Uh, so I I wanted to give you the full honor here to scoop it here, and I didn't know how much we could have discussed or not. So now that you've mentioned, um, I've seen a very early prototype, and guys, it is mind blowing. So I suggest the day you're ready to announce it to the world or discuss it and show it, Sylvain, we would be very honored if you come back on the show again. What do you think that is still missing in the landscape of wristwatches, Sylvain? And what's the philosophy behind your own watches? Okay, so the I find something very interesting. Very often in, in, in watchmaking, we talk about uh, pursuing perfection and, and doing the best possible things. And for example, in the big landscape of design, 150 years of industrial revolution gave to us human fantastic machinery to manufacture objects that are highly complex, highly technical, made to the higher standards. And sometimes I feel that these objects lose their soul a bit. Uh, it happens to me when I see vintage bikes compared to modern bikes same for watches when you see modern watches sometimes you feel that they became so perfect that yeah they lost their character so to speak um and and same goes for the rules uh, as a designer you get so many rules to work with i've been told for 15 years uh, don't break symmetry for example don't break symmetry because it doesn't sell it's disturbing don't break symmetry that's one rule you get it in the car industry bike industry watch industry uh why you know like from a creative perspective uh the more you tell me not to do it and the more I, I i will be interested to to venture into that you would be like going in a house and i tell you alan you can walk everywhere but that door do not open it you know and i keep telling you it's, that every week alan do not I, open I, that door <laughs> it's uh is as old as 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 humanity on 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 this planet if we believe the bible i mean there's a, 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 an 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 uh, an park called eden and there was an apple there that we can eat right so <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes so that's so that's uh same same for the rules in in, in watchmaking you know like do not make a your own movement it's too complex it's too complicated it's too long it's unsafe blah 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 i i just basically after 15 years uh, all these rules that i've been told stacked up in my mind until they built a sick and high wall mental wall i mean which which i never cross in my daily operations because and i understand why because you need to respect the brand i'm not here to please myself uh, i'm here to honor the brand i work for and I do this uh, with my highest possible work ethics for Breitling every day. But as an artist, um, I have a strong love for art and for philosophy and for trying new things. Creating, by definition, is about doing something that doesn't exist yet. You could argue that you're not creating anything if it even looks slightly like something you know you, you haven't created anything uh, so what i did is is pretty much ignore all these rules and these don't do's that i received for 15 years took all the money i have 
and venture into this crazy project of trying so what I can say, whether if it will work or not, I can guarantee you this will be a watch nobody has ever seen before. Um, and I didn't take any shortcuts so that we I will use gold only manufacture movement. And by manufacture movement, I mean everything is bespoke that will speak to Rob. So new base plate, new bridges, new pinions. I even drew my own uh, escape wheel that I will pair with an escape. Uh, I drew, sorry, my, my balance wheel and we will pair it with the spring. Chose my stones, chose uh, all of it. Uh, new barrel, oh, wow. new everything. And, and, and the problem is when you go to the suppliers and say, look, I'd like to make 40 pieces of these, you, you'll become really <laughs> a troublemaker. Uh, <laughs> because you require dedicated tooling, which is the highest commitment for a supplier for the lowest quantity. But thank God, uh, I've been working 10 years in this industry and, and it took me some time to convince the, the people that I thought were the best to do this project. And for example, as an anecdote, uh, went to the case maker. Uh, he's extremely busy. He's someone highly, highly, he's probably the best case maker. I know he makes all the grand sonnery for Vacheron by hand, gold cases wow. by hand. Um, his work is amazing and as every uh, very skillful supplier these guys are not very friendly so so you need to beg them to have an appointment when you get there they will quickly make you understand that they don't have an entire afternoon to discuss and you should get quickly to the point <laughs> but uh, I, I think in the watch industry Rob you worked uh, as a watchmaker you probably know what I mean yeah skillful craftsmen are not people you who want to talk they want to get shit done yeah 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 you're absolutely right it, the with that kind of talent comes uh, a level of cantankerousness shall we say um yeah that's why i'm so friendly because i'm a terrible watchmaker <laughs> <laughs> no but basically so, so so i went to him uh discuss i don't want to give his name yet but uh so i had to beg him to get an appointment he was late uh, in an evening we discussed, I show him the, the, the sketches on the table and I started talking, talking, trying to persuade him to do it. And he, and he stopped me with his hand. He showed me uh, the, the palm of his hand sort of saying, shut your mouth. Yeah. And he looked at the, the sketches for, I kid you not, two long minutes. And I didn't know what to do. I was just standing there waiting. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what's wrong? And he looked at it, flipped the papers and stuff. And, and he started to reply, Oh, your, your, your glass will be a nightmare to produce. And I think I have a, an idea to, to make the, the case back. Go, what, do, what do you mean? Do you, does that mean you would consider it? And he said, I mean, it, it, it's a stupid idea. I don't understand why, 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 why you want to do this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's interesting to try. So, so that I uh, would be willing to give it a go. And I've been working wow. with him now for months and he agreed. Uh, I got the first prototypes. Uh, we challenged the sickness and everything. I don't even uh, one one hint would be that it's going to be a very thin watch, not world record thin, because I'm not interested into that. But nonetheless, a very thin watch, and Halon has seen it. Uh, I don't know how we can achieve uh, gold pieces that thin. It, it, it's very nice. So when you get the chance to work with highly talented craftsmen uh, the quality of the of the project just goes even better it's it, it's crazy I'm, I'm very honored to to have the chance to work with these guys uh, oh this is exciting i can't wait to see it i'm, I'm really i i'm salivating. don't be too, don't be too excited rob because uh i will get this a lot rubbish. of heat from this i mean you have to imagine if I had to compare it in terms of painting, for example, that would be like a surrealist painting. It's something that when you see it at, at first glance, and I've done the exercise, I've, I've put this watch in the hands of different types of people. So, for example, Alan, very open-minded, a lot of experience in the industry. You give him the watch in 10 seconds, he understands what you want to do. And he frames 
is is remark like this. Now, if you take an engineer of someone uh, that has probably lower self-confidence, who is more interested into buying a watch for status symbol, if I give him my watch, uh, it's a complete, the the things that I'm trying to insult them or something, you know, like it's not funny or... Right, yeah. So so be ready for some trouble because it's not... uh, I don't know, Sylvain, if you're set on 40, but... If we are going to record Sylvain and he's giving us kind of a scoop, we need to publish the episode as soon as possible because they're being, going to be sold out in, in, in a jiffy. I, I know that for sure. I don't know. I mean, you're too kind. I think it, it will take 40 brave collectors to rock these pieces. Uh, no, no, 40 is nothing. They will be snatched up. I have the chance also for the record to be followed by um, very... Uh, knowledgeable collectors such as uh, Roni uh, Madvani, uh, Auro Montanari, for example. This, uh, I, I talk with them on this, on this project and they challenge me very often because even I get scared Yeah, when I get the bills for the prototypes and when I see the investment, man, like, like, you know, for example, making a manufacturer movement from scratch, huh? no shortcuts. Every piece is built for you the, the investment that goes behind it, even I had to have the discussion with, with my wife, you know, I'm, I'm like 33 and I told her, look, honey, I'm about to spend 15 years of savings into this. Since I started at BMW when I was 19, my dad told me, save 20, 30% of your salary, you'll be able to buy yourself a house one day. I'm at that point, yeah, where I should capitalize on 15 years of hard work. And what I do, no, I take that cash and, and throw it in the bin, so to speak, or in, in the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, so, and thank God, I mean, my wife understands, uh, she's an architect, so she understands, she has the love of arts as well. She understands that I would be happier going into bankruptcy, trying to make this project work rather than buying your house just for the sake of it uh, i think that's the way to do it and if i'm being honest and although this sounds a little bit spiritual and maybe fatalistic but generally when people do the right thing in watchmaking with genuine intentions good things come their way that isn't a hard and fast rule of course but if you are dedicated to an idea that you believe in so thoroughly that you'll pour 15 years of savings and the stability of your marriage into it, <laughs> then, you know, you, you really deserve success. And I think it often comes, it often comes because that kind of passion that you have comes through in the product. Okay. From what you're saying, and I haven't seen this product, so I, it's, it's completely speculation on my part, but it sounds like a very challenging object, something that will make people look at their wrist in a way they've never looked at it before. Mm-hmm. This isn't a run-of-the-mill watch that you get off a shelf. If anything, it's the whole industry convention, but inverted. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's going to mess with my head a little bit. It sounds like I might like it, but it doesn't sound like the sort of thing that would you'd see in a high street jewelers ever. It's something very special. Now, there are enough people in the industry that are bored of the regular fare that want something really high-end, well-made, fully conceived from start to finish that tells a message that is easily communicable on the wrist doesn't say it's easily digestible i'm not saying it's it's going to be like something for everybody and it doesn't sound like it is at all but i I think that there's always a space for that kind of crazy creativity and i wish you all the best i'm sure it's going to be a a huge success and i can't wait to see it thank you very much he's going to take uh, i think i should have the first functional prototype fully functional uh, in october next year so that's the kind of commitment it takes when you want to make a new movement without taking shortcuts um yeah and at the end uh, let's see how that goes at least i could say that i tried and i didn't take shortcuts i mean alan so it the, the, when you see this piece the question will be uh try to find similarities with an existing watch so will be the game when i see too many people complain. I hear it so often. You know, I'm a designer and I get this complaint very often. Oh, why do you guys go to the archives and why do you look back? And in 20 years, we will celebrate the new launch of the 20 years anniversary of the previous watch, blah, blah, blah. So, so, so people complain that there is not new things. Okay, fine. I hear that. But these people usually don't see the, the business side of things and the numbers. 
Now, with this project, I guarantee you, this will be new from scratch. Will be something you've never seen before. And let's see how many people still complain about. Uh, so it's also an experiment for me. Uh, it will probably be the. the so it will, I think it's going to be go big or go home. Either, like Alan said, people will understand. Not very many will be. Will they be brave enough? To put the money down on the table and, and to and to back up this work, I don't know yet. Or it will be the biggest failure, and and, and it could cost me big time, even in terms of reputation. You know, because that kind of project, if it doesn't go well, that's all people will will remember me for. And I'm very much aware of this risk, and I'm willing to take the risk anyway because I, I have true true passion for art, and and art is about. Uh, pushing the limits. What happens if if you if you don't respect the rules? You know, don't break symmetry. Fine, okay. What if there is no symmetry at all? You can't find a single uh, axis of symmetry. Zero. Try to imagine that in your head, Rob, because you you worked on many pieces. If I tell you my watch has zero axis of symmetry, no vertical, no horizontal, no diagonal, zero. Can you even picture it in your head? No, and I'm not sure I'll be able to sleep for about three weeks now. So thanks for that. <laughs> Sylvain, I, I, I have one, one question. Yeah. So I know it's going to be a success. They are going to sell out. So I need to push you. What's next then? Did you think about that step already in sure. your end? Sure. Uh, to, for, for the record, the, the piece you saw in Geneva is my test mule. So it's not the final mm -hmm. product. Um, And this is in terms of creativity. And then, as I said, by creativity, I mean doing something that doesn't exist yet. That's creativity. This is level one. I have level two, three, four, five, up to 10 in the bank. I have designs on paper that would, take, that would require four times the investment I'm doing to build this watch. So I settled on this one for two reasons. I think uh, it's the most Um, how do you say it's the essence of the concept as you mm -hmm. know it's a simple uh, construction it, it it allows me to display a design dna and and, and a brand uh, architecture tone of voice so to speak but then you can pile complications on top uh, and then we could go crazy but uh, i need i need first to understand if that type of project speaks to people before I can go further. So to answer your question, I have a, a lot worse to display if, if people are interested in seeing some more. <laughs> <laughs> That is absolutely unbelievable stuff. I can't wait to see it um, because basically I, I'm going to be thinking about it until it's finally unveiled now because you've really piqued my interest. Zero axes of symmetry that's gonna yeah that's gonna torment yeah, me for take a piece sure. of paper try to draw something and, and and you'll see i mean the it's in terms of creativity and uh, so that bugged me for so long people were saying don't break symmetry blah 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 but in terms of shape for me as a designer if you take any watch on the market or 99.9 percent of the watches you split them in 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 two vertically and in two horizontally one quarter of the watch is what you get replicated four times on your wrist and in terms of shape definition it's actually quite poor yeah it would be like having a car with four times the same corner symmetric and you could mm. not tell mm. uh, so a watch is a static object but nonetheless in terms of volumes you could you could do so much more what if uh there is no symmetry anywhere uh And, and it took me yep. hundreds of hours of sketching to, to understand that once you delete completely symmetry, it's not missing anymore because you have no reference point. It's like a tree. We all of us have seen a magnificent tree in a field or in a forest, and you never say, oh, but it's not really symmetric, yeah? You, 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 you can find true beauty in asymmetry. That's a proof that it can yeah. be done. And I guess when you remove everything and you're left with nothing and nothing is all there is, then nothing becomes something. So, Yeah, so to speak, so to speak. But uh, uh, the last thing I can say, now you will understand why I didn't want to take shortcuts for the record. I came up with this design 
it's a brain fuck, no symmetry of any kind, blah, blah, blah. And because I, I was still wanted to be pragmatic, I wanted to base this design on an existing movement. Uh, I, I tried to, to, to twist the bridges a little bit, but it was an existing round base plate and bridges. I showed this to the uh, collectors. I trust the, the five that, that follow this project, and all of them told me, Ah, you know, it's it's cool, but I mean, if if you want to to do it the whole way, you have to bend the movement. I'm sorry, and I go like, oh shit, and this is where it comes <laughs> from, you know. And and Alan Alan has seen it. If you want, uh, Rob, I could get your number and I could send you the pictures on WhatsApp or something. But uh, same goes for the movement. The movement is not round, it's bespoke completely, no symmetry, no nothing. And this is where you go into nightmare land, you know, because making... Uh, but, uh, yeah, nonetheless, uh, I pushed the button. As I said, I catapulted myself into it. So right now I'm in the air trying to, to do damage control and not land into bankruptcy. That's what I'm doing. But uh, it will happen no matter what. <laughs> Well, good luck. Uh, I I don't think you need as much as you, you probably think you do while you're floating through the air waiting for a soft landing. But um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch this develop. And I'm really, really thrilled that you are taking this this leap as terrifying as it much must be. So that's where we're going to wrap up the show. Thanks, Sylvan, for joining us. That was one of the most interesting and uh, disturbing chats I've had so far on the Real Time Show. And I'll definitely give you my number because otherwise I really won't be able to find any rest until next October when this watch finally debuts in the market if you would like to ask sylvan any questions about his project of course we have plenty of time to get him back on the show before the watch actually comes out then you can get in touch with us on instagram i'm there at rob nuds that's r-o-b-n-u-d-d-s alon is on instagram at alon ben joseph a-l-o-n-b-e-n-j-o-s-e-p-h and you can contact us both directly via email that's rob at the realtime.show or alon at the realtime.show don't forget to check out sylvan's own project at burneron that's b-e-r-n-e R-O-N.